This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 181 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Equestrian Collections, for all your Christmas shopping needs. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show with our producer, Glenn. Well, hi, guys. I really want to hear about your weekend. You were away together, and I got some pictures, none of, when, none of which we can talk about on the air. But, <laughs> That's not but, that bad. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that bad. Whoa, Glenn, easy, easy, easy. <laughs> but uh, I do want to uh, talk to you about that. But first, let's Let's discuss this FEI thing because it, it's hit the fan here for the last couple of days, and uh, maybe we can fill people in on, on what the new rule actually said and what they really meant, because obviously there was a lack of communication on this one from the FEI. So I, what happened was I heard from the driving or the American Driving Society when we were recording the driving show that there's this new rule come down by the FEI that has everybody in a Twitter, and what that what the rule basically said was that if you compete at the FEI level, and the way it read is if you compete at the FEI level and then go out and compete at an unrecognized show, uh, you were going to be barred from the FEI level for six months. And that was rider, horse, or judge, any judge that uh, judged a show like that. That's the way it originally said. The drivers were kind of upset because they only have a few FEI shows here in the United States, and the rest of them are unrecognized, you know? Um, so they were concerned that if you, you know, if I go out and compete at the one FEI show, I can't do anything else all year. Uh, and then you know, the eventers got involved, and, and I contacted Reese, I contacted you to see what you could find out. And, and apparently this is not what the FEI meant. Is that what's coming out now? Yeah, that's, that's what's coming out. So uh, this is from USCF. Um, the new rule does not apply to any competitions that could never be considered as international. So small shows, society shows, pleasure shows, etc. do not con- come under this new rule. If a show is run as a national show, either through NF, the NF, which is the National Federation, for us that's USEF, and for Philip that's Canadian Dressage, Dressage Canada, Canada, through an an organization that is recognized by the NF only, it does not apply. However, if the OC, which is the organizers, uh, organize a full international show in one of the existing FEI disciplines with invited international riders and does so outside the NF, it and, and so is not the FEI calendar. It is not suppo- supported by the NF. The rules will be applied by the FEI. The suspensions could be invoked. The FEI uh, general rules have always confirmed that the FEI is the recognition of the International Federation of Equestrian International Events for its disciplines and its managers. Uh, the general rules confirm that the show with more than 15 international riders from more than four nations must run as an FEI event or under the National Federation's concerned. So dressage-wise, that doesn't really apply, does it, Reese? I mean, I don't ex- think there's exactly. any large international shows that wouldn't be FEI or or um, under the under our own federations. So. That didn't, yeah. that kind of that kind of glazed over my head. I didn't I didn't understand that that this would apply to the other um, FEI disciplines, but I guess I guess it kind of was confusing for 
for some. Yeah, the way it right. read, it was just poorly written. It was a poorly written yeah. rule that should have should have been uh, vetted a little bit more before it went in the rule book. Um, exactly. And, and, and I can see why there was concern, especially, you know, when you talk about the eventers, they're always competing horses at lower levels and in unrecognized local events. Um, right. And that's where the concern was, is I can't do that anymore. I've lost three quarters of my business. Um, sure. And, you know, I can so I can understand why it kind of hit the fan over the last couple of days. Um, and it would have affected people like you, Reese. You compete in unrecognized yeah. local events as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk about that in, in a little while longer, a uh, little while in the show. We're going to talk about to show or not to show. Uh, that is the question. Um, but exactly. And, and that's why it seems fishy. But it, this really applies. I guess they were having some issues with some jumper competitions. I think that's where it really came into play. Um, but, you know, from USEF and in my representatives that I talked to there, there's really not anything in dressage that you need to worry about. So we're all set. It just, like you said, Glenn, poorly written, uh, would have affected a ton of people. Uh, myself, uh, you know, gosh, there was a, a jumper rider that jumps my horse. He, he was here today. It would affect him. So, uh, but that's not that's not how it's going to be and it, it's fine there's really nothing in dressage that's going to affect so yeah. it's okay yep no need to worry no need to worry all we're all good, good. No panic. <laughs> exactly no panic everybody relax it's all good so what is coming up on today's show reese so we have Nancy Hintz. Uh, she, we and Philip and I are going to talk about uh, when is a good time to show, when is it a good time to stay at home and train, uh, what to do with young horses. And then we also have uh, one of our, uh, or Philip's fellow Canadians, uh, Ron King, is going to come on and talk about some winter weather riding tips. So a great show today. For, for, the, for those of us in the north, you know, and, and he is really quite i mean he's even more north than me so uh Does he live so that's in an why igloo we have or Philip? And it was that possible <laughs> igloo? i think it's pretty oh, close yeah <laughs> is the indoor like covered in yes. snow blocks sure. you know it's this big arch yeah well i can get that way kind of i think it probably will seem that way soon but uh poor philip he's gonna be the only one up north soon <laughs> and all our listeners we'll, we will be thinking about you he'll be up there representing canada and yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna talk to you guys about it every single week because it really affects me and it affects all of us up here that stay stay up north so i think it's very important that you guys hear about it <laughs> well i will tell you it's been very cold here actually this week and it's been in the 20s when i ride and i will tell you winter weather riding is hard I, by the time i took blankets off for the 30th time of the day blankets on coolers off you know oh boy i was i was yeah. over it this week so i <laughs> i i you know anybody more north than here i feel for you for sure well before we get into all of that we have the second part in our holiday helmet series and uh, this is done in cooperation with charles owen and riders for helmets and the Horse Radio Network as we present this special holiday series called Giving the Gift of Safety, Purchasing a Helmet for Your Loved One at Christmas. And today we talk to a rider who who used her helmet for what it was intended, and it actually saved her life. So we're going to hear about that in just a minute. We actually got some good feedback, too, on our Facebook page about this series. So we hope that, uh, we hope that you enjoy it. We'll be right back. Glenn Geek here, founder of the Horse Radio Network. We are excited to bring you a special holiday helmet mini-series, giving the gift of safety, purchasing a helmet for your loved ones at Christmas. 
Today, we bring you the first of some amazing stories of how helmets have affected people's lives. With us are Lindsay White, founder of RidersForHelmets.com, and Deborah Furphy sharing her story. This series is sponsored by Charles Owen. When Charles Owen himself founded the company in 1911, his mission was to make products for a safer world. The incorporation of the latest technology and protection, fit, and ventilation allows you to focus on riding in the knowledge that your Charles Owen helmet will take the very best care of you. Safety, comfort, fit, all wrapped up in a helmet that is the epitome of style in each discipline. Why wait any longer? Nothing says you care more than the gift of a Charles Owen helmet for the holidays. There's a trained helmet fitter waiting in your local tax store, or you can find Charles Owen helmets at any of your favorite online tax outlets give the gift of safety and style this christmas with charles owen and now Lindsay white founder of ridersforhelmets.com and deborah furphy sharing her story well, I want to thank you both, uh, Deb and Lindsay, for joining us today. Of course, Deb is here to tell us our first story in this series, and Lindsay is here for Riders for Helmets. Going to be talking a little bit about that in just a few minutes. But I want to start with you, Deb. You know, uh, Lindsay said you've got to talk to Deb. She has an amazing story of recovery to talk about, and 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 what happened to you. So let's 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 go back in time a little bit and tell us what happened. Okay. Well. I have to say first and foremost that my helmet saved my life. My doctors told me I wouldn't walk again. They told me a lot of horrible, horrible things. So let's get into the accident and why that happened and why I was actually wearing the approved type of helmet at that time. I had just turned 18 on December 3rd, 1991. I was among the top in my region and nationally ranked in junior hunters, large and small, and equitation, large hunter pony. And then on December 5th, a horse I was schooling for a client refused the jumps that we were working on. So like most riders, I applied the crop twice, told them, you know, we're not going to deal with this nonsense. And we circled back. And instead of, you know, refusing it, he refused and he reared in such a smooth movement that he lost his balance and he went over backwards and I was not able to get free. And he'd landed on top of me, and he fractured in my back the L3, L4, L5, S1, S2, and my coccyx. Oh, my. That's that's a serious back break there. Yeah, that was not a good thing. And 20 years ago, we didn't know what we know now. So there wasn't much they could do other than put me on steroids. But there was major spinal cord compression because of that injury, And he bloodied my nose each time he rolled to try and get up. I'm just so grateful he didn't break it because that was like the only thing that was not broken at that point. And you were Um, wearing a helmet then? I was wearing a helmet. Um, He blacked both my eyes. My cheeks were, it looked like I had been, you know, sandpapered down. He split my lips and broke a front tooth. I've had a spinal fusion, nerve blocks. I've been paralyzed three times. Hmm. But I had a dorsal column stimulator implanted to kill the pain, so I'm up and walking. And this is stuff we didn't have 20 years ago. I had a severe concussion. But the whole thing is I was wearing an approved helmet that day, and I usually never wore one. I figured it was a green horse, so why take the chance? And usually I just wear, you know, those nice little decorative fox hunting caps that everybody used to wear with the little elastic chin strap you could cut off. That are pretty much useless, yeah. Yeah, they're totally useless. 
but I was so stupid and so vain when I schooled horses that I thought, oh, this makes me look like everybody else that's a professional. Look at me. Look at how good I look. And, you know, if I had been wearing that instead of the helmet that they made me wear as a junior rider in competition, I would have had my skull crushed in. You can see, I still have the helmet, and you can see where his hoof hit it when he was getting up. You can see the dents in the top. You can see the cracks inside. You can see where it was, you know, structurally compromised. And it's just one of those things where... Why did I have that thought? I was so incredibly lucky. And you told you told Lindsay this, and, and you you said in your email to me that you've now had a new determination to get back in the tech again after all this time. Yeah, I have, and it's all because of Courtney King Die. If it wasn't for reading her blog and her story, and seeing that she has pretty much the same kind of injuries and weaknesses and problems that I do physically. I would never have had the courage to tell my husband, hey, I want to do this again. It was something I had always dreamed of, but it wasn't something I thought I could do. And a friend of mine turned me on to Courtney's blog last year, and I'm not ashamed to admit that I cried when I read it because it was so reminiscent and so familiar of my own experience. On November 17th, my husband and I are going to a local uh, trail riding establishment. And we are both going on a nice trail ride. And in a this, new helmet, I, I hope. Them. Yes, in a brand new helmet, actually. <laughs> you have your brand yeah. new one because you're going to be riding again. Yeah, and I hope that I'll be able to keep it up. But even if I can't, I know that I tried. I know that I've done my best. I know that I have battled my demons and won. Lindsay, let's bring you into this conversation. Of course, you're with Riders for Helmets, and you're the one that really has... In, in my opinion, and I'm going to say this and embarrass Lindsay right now, it really has changed the face of helmet wearing around the world and really has brought it to light and really has gotten, uh, gotten regulations changed, uh, uh, you know, around the world. So, Lindsay, congratulations on all you have done. Tell us what's going on currently. You've been on a guest on our shows a number of times. Tell us what's going on currently with Riders for Helmets. Oh, well, thank you, Glenn. You're too kind. And I think we should definitely give a, a shout-out to Chad, um, who works on me with Riders for Helmets as well, because I certainly don't want to uh, downplay all of the work that he does on the campaign. But, yeah, some some pretty exciting things. Um, Riders for Helmets celebrated uh, two years uh, in April this year of being basically around educating equestrians on helmet wearing. Um, we ho- hosted the third International Helmet Awareness Day this year that had over 500 retailers around the globe participate, which was absolutely outstanding. Um, we hosted earlier in the year the third uh, Riders for Helmet Safety Symposium, and we've got number four in the works right now, so we're going to be announcing that in the near future. Um, we were recently awarded the Certified Horsemanship Association Partnership in Safety Award for 2012, which was a massive honor for us. Well, congratulations very, very, on that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was really cool of them to uh, kind of recognize our efforts in, in educating equestrians. Um, the Riders for Helmets blog is getting over 25,000 unique visitors a month now from over 40 countries globally which, again, is just amazing that so many people read that blog and, and kind of tune in and, and read everybody's stories. And I have to say, Deborah, that it's stories like yours 
that have the absolute most impact because if just one person reads your story and thinks, you know, my gosh, I do need to protect my head and I'm going to go and buy a helmet for the first time in my life or I'm going to go change my old helmet that's 15 years old, you know, and go buy a new one, then, you know, you, you as an individual have directly contributed to probably saving somebody's life or potentially well, saving somebody's that. life. Um, you know, so it's your stories, everybody else's stories, the wonderful followers of the campaign, uh, you know, over 10,000 people following the campaign on Facebook now, all sharing the stories. It's just amazing. It's just continuing to grow. And I hope it keeps going. And I hope more, more and more people kind of follow the campaign, spread the word, and hopefully we get more helmets on people's heads. What's the website, uh, Lindsay? Riders with an S, the number four, and then helmets with an S.com. And, um, you know, I want to give a big shout out to Charles Owen as well, because I know they're, they're involved in this helmet educational series with you, Glenn, and, and they've been incredibly supportive of the Riders for Helmets campaign since the beginning. I know they have been part of it, and we do appreciate, I appreciate from the Horse Radio Network that uh, you for Riders for Helmets and Charles Owens are involved and everybody else that's contributing to this series. Thank you so much, Deb. I wish you the best of luck. We're going to have to check in with you and see how you do on your trail ride. You'll be fine. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. I've asked for an oh crap strap, which is one of the... <laughs> Sorry. I still use those. What are you talking about? Well, between that and the helmet, I think you're going to be just fine. So uh, good luck, and we'll be thinking about you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and I hope somebody takes away from this that you know, you're not invincible even when you're young and you're riding. You need that helmet. To... Life is hard. Your brain is soft. Protect it. Thank you to Riders for Helmets for everything they do for helmet awareness and safety. You can visit them at riders4helmets.com. And thank you to Charles Owen. You can visit them at charlesowen.co.uk. And you can hear all the shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Talk to you again next week. I'm pleased to have Nancy Hins on the show this evening. She is from Texas and is the owner of Yellow Rose Dressage. Nancy, thanks so much for coming on the Dressage Radio Show this evening. Hi, you're welcome. So we, Philip and I, and, and I think this is going to be a great topic for us to discuss tonight, but the question is, when is it time to show? When is it time not to show? So can you get us started on that discussion? Okay. <clears throat> um, well, the time to show would be um, when your when your basics are well confirmed at home. Um, it, it may be a little different when you're talking about a young horse or a more advanced horse. But for a young horse, uh, you you know you want your walk, trot, and canter, and good steady contact and obedient transitions working very well at home for the basic reason of being safe at the horse show. So you can you can steer and stay out of people's way and um, keep yourself safe. Um, and also, when all those basics are intact, then you're going to be better able to give your horse confidence in the show ring. And so you'd have, for long term, a much more comfortable horse in the show ring and less spooking, hopefully. Another good reason to show would be to use the shows as a test of your training program. So, you know, if you think everything's working well at home, then you go to the show and the judges can tell you if it's working or not. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, think there's a lot like, of difference, a lot of different uh, situations and scenarios. I mean, when you're talking with uh, an experienced rider with a young horse or um, an inexperienced rider with an older horse, that's a that's a totally different question. You know, is right. it time? So I think, you know, um, 
the combination has to be confident in 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 the work that they're doing confident with the test you know to have um ridden the test quite a bit at home to have a really good idea about you know what what is the the where's the horse in the training and uh is it is it time to go out to to a competition right and a, a good example i have of that is i had uh one year i had two junior riders that were both trying to make our regional team for NHAYRC and one of them had shown quite a bit and had shown through second and third level, but her horse had just started to learn flying changes. And so for her program, I recommended that in the early part of the year, rather than going right into the Young Rider qualifiers, that she do some third-level tests so that she and her horse could get confident doing the changes in the show ring. And then I had another junior who didn't have as much show experience, but the horse he was on was a professor and knew how to do everything. So for that student, I had him go ahead and get into the junior classes um, so he could really work through how to ride those junior tests. So, you know, that the perspective was a little different for the different combinations, like you were saying. I've had that same thing happen. You know, I've had, I, you know, two young riders and it happened to be her last year. And this mm-hmm. is a tough one. You know, this was a hard one as a trainer that I really had to think about and decide because, you know, it's a lot of money to try out for the young riders. Um, right. But this was a kid that really, you know, I thought it's, it, this is her last year. The horse, it was her first pre-St. George when she went into the test. Um, and, and it was hard. She had a hard season. You know, she had, she'd be able to go next year. It, we, it would have been a totally different season. But in her case, that was it. This was, this was the last year she was going to go. She's going to graduate college, get a job. Um, and and it, it, it was a good experience. She didn't make the team. Um, and she had some good rides and some not so good rides. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it's good, too, sometimes that if you have that question – you know, you don't want to look back. Very rarely do you have, well, you have to do it this year or not. But as sometimes, as we know, horses get older and, and it's good to at least go out and try and have that expectation right. that, you know, maybe it's not going to work, but it's a good thing that you at least got out there and tried it. How do you guys right. feel about that? Well, I think it's really yeah. important to have that conversation with your with your student or client, whether... Um, you're going to go out to show the horse or, you know, the combination is going to show it to say, these are our expectations. And if we achieve this or this, it's a success. And if not, then we just can keep going at it or we can change the plan later. Right. But I think everybody has to have an idea about what is the goal of going to the show and, and what, you know, what, what successes you're going to have. And it's not always about winning a class. Right. Like with my, with my first student, our goal was, develop the horse's confidence with the lead changes in the show ring. Everything else was already there, so I knew once the two of them got those signals straight, then riding the junior test wouldn't be a problem, and she actually did quite well in her junior test and made the team that year. And then my other student, who it was just his first year doing that third-level work, he had only previously shown training level, so with him... It was really a practice year anyway. We we didn't expect that he would make the team his first his first year moving up so quickly, and um, <clears throat> so he's the one I had go right into the junior test because he needed to learn those patterns and the horse already knew everything. 
and he did not end up making the team that year, but then he made it the following year on a different horse. So you're right, it, it depends on the needs of the rider and the horse, whether, you know, to show or not to show or which qualify, you know, to do qualifiers or just do open classes. And it is important to have that conversation and and have an individual plan for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're lucky here in Lexington. We have a nice schooling show circuit. Uh, uh-huh. And we're just we're just coming up on that schooling show circuit now. It, it starts – actually, the first show is this weekend. There's one in November. There's one in December. Uh, there's one in February and March and one in April. Uh, and they're at the horse park. It's great footing. Um, and we use those a lot. We use them to help uh, with goals in the winter. I think um, for the riders that don't go to Florida, that's a great um, kind of way to keep you on track. And, um, you know, they're they're quite inexpensive. So you can sort of move up a level or see where you need to be. Uh, we have lots of horses that, you know, had a little break after regionals. And, and they're going to go this coming weekend. Um, and we found that to be a really helpful thing, um, at, at, you know, as, as you go through the winter, uh, it's also a great place to take young horses that again, maybe you don't want to invest a lot of money into their training. Um, but that's, that's been a really, really good thing. So well, Philip, what do you Canada, think? Well, well, here, here in Canada, we have three separate show circuits. Um, they're organized gold, silver, bronze. And so the bronze circuit is, um, just kind of a, a level above schooling where we have recognized judges and, you know, all the rules of Equine Canada apply and all the rules of Dressage Canada apply. Um, and that's a great circuit for um, a lot of different combinations, people just getting into it or, you know, um, different young horses, you know, it's a, it's its own circuit. Then we have the silver circuit and then we have a gold circuit, which is uh, a lot more for professionals or, um you know, really, really nice professional horses as well. And so there's a lot of options there. And that's, you know, that's a totally different discussion that I that I have with my clients and students is, you know, what circuit is right for you? How much money do you want to spend? I mean, at gold, the shows are three days long. At uh, at the bronze level, they're a day. And silver can be one or, one or two days. So there's all different places where people fit. And you got to, you know, make the decision on on where everybody goes and, and you know, what's going to be the best thing for having uh, a successful show experience for each one of these horse rider combinations. Right. So and another, l- another yeah. good option is if you have a young horse or a nervous horse, um, taking them to the horse show, but just schooling on the showground. That's another option as well. Uh, you know, or another question of whether to show or not to show, you can go to the show, but not have the pressure of, doing a test and that way they get exposed to the environment and, and gain confidence that way. Yeah, I love that. I, we, I do that a lot. I, I, I did that this year with my young horse. Um, you know, I just said to myself and I made it a pact, um, that every horse show, every time the trailer left, he was in it. And, you know, he yeah. spent, had to spend the night at the horse show. And, you know, the first horse show is a, a local, is a recognized show, but, um, he went and he screamed the whole time and he, I did, I don't I wrote him the the last day. Uh he was just kind of terrible, but um as as the as the season went on now, he he has been a much different guy. So um that's been good. So Nancy and Philip, I have a question for you. What do you do when your student insists on showing, let's say moving up a level and you're not you as the trainer don't feel like they're ready? 
What do you do? Uh, you mean if you can't convince them to stay where they are for a little longer? Correct. If they want, um, if they want to go to the horse show, you want, they say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go yeah, and I'm going to show a level higher. Provided it's a safe situation and, you know, their, their horse behaves well at the shows, sometimes I would just let them go do it. And then, you know, the judges will sort them out. You know, sometimes it's good to have the backup from the judges because, you know, when, when you're working with your student every day and they hear you telling them the same thing over and over, sometimes it doesn't always sink in. But, like, if they go to a clinician and they say it a little differently, that might, you know, click a switch and they'll go, oh, I understand it now. Or if the judge says you really need to go back and work on this, then maybe your next conversation with your client, they might believe you a little bit more. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, if if you're saying one thing and they're thinking another, obviously uh, there's a breakdown in the communication a little bit. And, right. And so, yeah, for sure, a judge can reinforce, uh, you know, what you're saying. Or, yeah. or maybe the client is just okay with not doing that well at a higher level. I mean, you know, you can talk about having your own goals for each student and each person and each combination. But like you said, if it's safe... And, and, you know, and, and they get a score that they're happy with at a higher level, then I think you got to be able to support the person in, in, in that decision. Now, if they come back really disappointed and, you know, like it's, it really didn't work for them, then again, like the conversation has to, has to happen again or happen in a different right. way. Or you, you take it to the lesson and you say, you know, we can improve this, but it's not going to be this humongous jump to the next show in three weeks. Like, you know, you're not all of a sudden going to score all that much better. You know, you have to say, are you happy with this score? If not, what are our options? What can we do? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. You know, um, the, the good thing is typically in dressage, um, you know, you're going to be, you know, if you're ready to show and you're able to show and, and you will just come back with a bad score. Um, you know, I will have a student, maybe they, they decide to go up a level or I can't go or something and they, and they come back and they're disappointed. And then we have to talk a little bit about expectations. Um, it happens to me more in the eventing world, um, where, uh, you know, cause I do coach a bunch of eventers and, um, that's where we get into trouble when they need to move up. And, and in that particular case, I'll actually talk to their jumping coach cause they have a little more of a ability to change that. But, uh, yeah, at right. the end of the day, I think if the judges not ready to move up there. That could be dangerous with the jumping. Exactly. But yeah. I think yeah. in dressage, yeah, sure. yeah that it'll, you're like, you're right, Nancy, the judges kind of sort them out a little bit. Well, I had a I had a situation with this sort of thing uh, with a rider that um, didn't necessarily want to stay at the same level, um, but the rider also wasn't super confident to show the next level. But what we did is, um, you know, I did a little training on the horse, and uh, and she showed second level. So she had showed first level a couple of years. The horse is moving up and progressing and doing better. But said this year, I don't feel confident about second level. What can we do? And we got a little creative, and she rode second level test one over a couple of days, and I showed the horse in test two and test three, and I think that worked really well because you know I you know I I had a plan for the horse, I was able to train it a little bit and and uh, give the horse a little bit of confidence and the rider also also a little bit of confidence at that level that we were working together even at the show grounds a little bit, you know. So I, I think there's different ways to do it, and I think you have to look for. Um, sometimes a little bit more of a creative solution, you know, if the if the rider is feeling a little bit stuck at a level. Um, 
you know, there's a big jump between some of these levels to for, you know, especially that first level to second level thing. You know, not everybody wants to show first level forever and, and you got to right. do something about it. I have an amateur lady that's showing third level on uh, one of my school horses and he, he's got quite a bouncy trot and she has a lot of trouble sitting the trot, but all the other, the collected trot and the canter and the walk work is all very good. And so for the extended trots, I just tell her, you know, to be conservative and find the trot, a little bit bigger trot that she can sit and just know that for that one score, it might only be a five. And and she can accept that low score on that one movement, and then she's getting sixes and sevens on everything else. So we just kind of look at her project as, you know, she's in there doing third level like she's always wanted to. We know that the extensions in the trot aren't going to be so great, but we know it going in. So when the judge comes back and tells us, guess what, the trot extensions aren't so great, we already knew that, so we're prepared for that. So it's not a disappointing situation. And she's getting in there and doing that level. And from show to show, we keep working on her sitting trot at home, and it's getting better and better and better. So that's another one of those things where you have to talk about expectations yeah, it goes back to communication, I think, again, and and right. and people not being disappointed with the, with with the outcome, and everybody knowing where you're at going in, and 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 having fun and saying that was great. So, right. Um, I think that's a great discussion. She's really gaining, she's gaining a lot of confidence by going out to the shows on this horse. So I wouldn't want to just stay home and train until her sitting trot was perfect, because then she's missing out on all this great show miles. So that's worked really well for her. Well, Nancy, thank you very much. I, that was a great discussion. Um, can you tell us, how do we find you on the internet? Um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's uh, nancyhins.com. Well, that was a great conversation with Nancy about showing or not showing and, and goals about showing. Right after this commercial with Equestrian Collections, we have a friend of mine and a trainer from Ottawa, Canada, Ron King, he runs Blueprint Farm up there, and we're going to talk about cold weather riding. We've been speaking a whole lot in recent weeks about looking to equestrian collections for all of your fall and winter needs. They have all the top brands in winter wear for you and your horse. Well, in addition to winter, believe it or not, it is now November and time to start thinking about holiday gift giving. There's no better place to find those equestrian gift ideas than at Equestrian Collections. They have thousands of choices for all of your gift-giving needs at some fantastic prices. Whether it is for that guy, girl, or equine in your life, you will find it all at equestriancollections.com. Get that holiday shopping started early at equestriancollections.com. Hi, Ron. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi. Uh, you're on today to talk a little bit about winter weather riding for you and me up in Canada. That's really important, and I'm sure... Um, a lot of people would like a few tips on, on how to make it pleasurable in the winter, anyways. Well, I think the most pleasurable thing is if you have the opportunity to move south for the winter. <laughs> uh, that's tip number one. Florida or California okay. sounds really nice right about now. That's what I'm talking about, Rob. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, it's not everyone can just move south. So, okay, Ron, if you can't go south, what, what else can you do? Well, if you can't go south, one thing you can do, I highly recommend dressing layers. And you can get some undergear, under armor gear, or um, sometimes it's actually a wool blend to put underneath your riding stuff that's not very thick. And so it wicks away any, any perspiration and sweat. 
but the more layers, the better. So as you get warm, you can take them off. And then uh, after you ride, you can put them back on. Yeah, I think that's a perfect start. What, what else? Well, often my hands get really cold. So I do have liners for my gloves and I have fairly thick, uh, thin slate gloves. And then when it gets to very cold temperatures, um, I often use the hot pads I put in my hands as well to keep myself warm. Yeah, I have, I have a huge, I get them in bulk. Huge, you know, um, I think they're charcoal activated things. This is what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. They're charcoal activated, and they last for about eight hours in general. Yeah, you can pack them in your boots. You can pack them in your gloves. They're um, they're thin enough nowadays. For I, I know before they were really thick, but now you can get them in your boots and and uh, put them there. Anything else? What about for the horses? Now, for the horses, um, I highly recommend to clip them. I find if they're really really fuzzy, they get pretty warm and wet. And then uh, it takes some hours to dry off. So the best thing is to, to I like to clip my horses and then blanket them appropriately depending on the weather. Because up here, then, even though it can get very cold, it can also get, uh, the weather can really vary often. And uh, it's nice to blanket them appropriately. And Ron, talk to us about, you know, it, it, does it ever get too cold that you're uncomfortable with riding or really working? It does. <laughs> it does. My cutoff point is around minus 18 degrees Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, uh, but it's cold. <laughs> it's really, really cold. And even at minus 18, it's, it's really difficult to do a lot. Sure. So yeah, what I, are your expectations on those days? Like, what do, what do you do? Uh, you know, if, if it got to that temperature in Kentucky, I don't think we would leave the barn. <laughs> but, I mean, what, <laughs> what do you do? I mean, I, you know, being we get cold here in Kentucky, but it doesn't typically get that cold. And if it ever got... I don't know what minus 18 is, but, um, you know, my cutoff is 20 degrees Fahrenheit where I'm really decide, uh, I'm not sure that that's productive or, you know, just to take the rugs off, it gets quite cold. But, um, what do you, what do you do on those days? What, what's your expectation? Well, we often ride them with a quarter sheet on and it probably doesn't come off. And, um, you just try your best to supple them and move them around. It's really difficult to work them very hard on those days, especially even from a, I mean, just as a rider, you feel the cold temperature in the indoor arena, and there's no wind, but it's still, you, you feel it against your face, and so you can't help but believe that the horse also struggles with that temperature. So you basically just move them around a little bit, even if it's 15, 20 minutes, and, and then they can go back in, um, especially if it's so cold outside, if it's even colder than that outdoors, their turnout is limited, so it's kind of important that they get out of the stall. Yeah, I know... Um that when these days get so cold, I just do a bit of walk work, even, you know, 10, 15 minutes of walk, you know, with a, sh- with a quarter sheet or even sometimes um, kind of a cooler on to get a little bit more coverage. And you can do a lot of suppling work just at the walk without getting into um, trot or canter where the, where the airways get a little bit too open for the, uh, for the cold weather and it actually becomes a little bit dangerous and, uh, and, and not good for the horses to be, to be, you know, cantering around and, and huffing and puffing, so uh, I think it's uh, it's important to kind of do something because horses need the exercise, especially the athletes. So, Ron, we we did the math, and um, eight minus eighteen degrees Fahrenheit is actually zero degrees Fahrenheit. Um, I have to be honest; there's no way I'm going outside when it's that temperature. I will do base barn chores, and that's it. So, you guys are, uh, you know, hats off to you for going out there. But um, so, how long? Uh, you know, how many? months does it stay minus 18 or is that unusual for you guys how does that work 
It really depends on the year. Um, some years we may have minus 18 for one week, where the high may be around minus 18, so that's the height of the day. Um, if it's a very yeah, prolonged time, not, obviously yeah. we can it's not like that for very long. Yeah, you might get a few days. Like for me, we might get a few days like that between, you know, January, February. Um, but generally, it isn't that cold where I am anyways, uh, very often. So let me ask you guys a question. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that feel that horses should get a little bit of a break in the winter. Um, you know, that is a issue when you go south. The horses obviously don't get a break. Um is that a time that you guys would suggest, you know, maybe some hand walking and giving them a, a week or two off? Or do you guys continue on from there? When it gets very cold, yeah, they often do get somewhat of a break. When it does, when the temperatures reach, you know, minus 20, minus 25, which is maybe a brief period of time, but then, then they for sure get those few days off. Um, and you try, if it's too cold for them to go outside, then you try to even turn them out in the arena potentially. Yeah, I mean, for me, January, February, bit of March, maybe even when it is like this, then I don't consider it that they're in kind of full training. You know, you have to expect that they're going to get some time off here or there. So you kind of work when you can. And if they get a few days off or something like that, that's perfect because, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily wanting to be out in the barn that much. And this is this is the time that I take, you know, vacation where maybe I'll go to Florida for a week or two just or go somewhere just to uh, to have that time off because, you know, all summer we're showing, we don't get any time off, you know, into the fall, we're kind of doing a few other things. So uh, that's just a vacation time for me. I think it's uh, it's perfect and it built, it, it's built into the year because of our uh, show schedules and that. So Sure. Sure. I mean, that, that I found that to be a difficult thing because when I was here, um, when I grow, when I was growing up, I didn't actually have an indoor here in Kentucky and, and we do actually need one because we get a lot of rain and, and cold rain typically. Um, but going south, that is always a little bit of an issue that, that the horses sort of can go year round now. Um, and I think everybody, every trainer, every rider has to think about that. Um, so I actually give my horses a little time off during the holidays um, before we go to Florida, before we sort of uh, get, get really going. I give them a few days off around the holidays, which is nice for me. But that's what I do uh, going south. So, um, you know, a lot of riders aren't and, and I certainly don't go every year. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting to see, uh, when I lived in Germany, uh, the horses would have the, the, their mouse would, um, you know, the, the, uh, foam that would come off their mouth would freeze. <laughs> and, uh, I couldn't believe we were riding. I, I couldn't believe that was a good thing for their airways, but, uh, you guys would know more about that than I would. Yeah, I think there is, you know, again, depending on how cold it is, some danger to the airways, but the other, you know, the other fun thing you can do is ride outside in the snow you wouldn't believe how the horses uh, react to some you know some of that snow and if you just go out for a hack and and use it uh you know if the snow is a little bit deep then they have to really pick up their legs and stuff and that's and it's just a it's a fun fun time to ride if it's not too cold and and you got a couple of feet of snow on the ground that's really good yeah phil makes a really valid point that sometimes when it is nice and sunny out and it's nice clear snow and you take your horses out and uh, just just hack them or, or just have a, a nice kind of ride it's not a negative thing at all so what do you do when you go out do you put snowshoes on them <laughs> yeah actually kind of uh, yeah use, i mean the horses are shod so um they get a, a rubber under pad 
and it prevents snowballs from from kind of building up in the uh, in the shoes. Do you use those, Ron, up there? We do, yes, yeah, we do. We also typically put borium on the shoes, uh, just so that they have a little extra grip, even for turnout. And then if it's quite icy, I know a few people who will even go as far as, as putting corks in, if if they do a lot of work outside and it's potentially icy underneath the snow. Yeah, I mean, minor minor cork generally. Um, you know that I can take the corks out or put a different cork in. But if if it's icy out and I still like to get the horses out as much as I can, then uh, it's nice, yeah, for a little extra grip. And uh, so they get the snow pads, they get their corks, they're all uh, tractioned up. I think that's so, that's that's good. Can you hear what a cork is? Cork little. Well, a cork. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Phil. No, go ahead, Ron. I was just going to say there's different types of corks, but you screw them actually into the shoe itself. Uh, for extra traction, and then you can take them out afterwards. Yeah, because Often we... jumpers use them if they jump on grass. Yeah, I've seen them with um, event horses, but, you know, typically here we don't use them uh, on dressage horses, so that's why. Um, and, and when do you put those in? When do you ask the farrier to, to, to start putting those in? Um, I have the, the, the corks, are, I guess they're also called studs sometimes. Different people have different terms, but it's a little screw-in piece, and uh, it's on the bottom of the shoe. I mean, I have them in year-round. That I can use them if I want, and and if not, you take them out, and there's no there's no negative effect to have that, um, in the shoe. Yeah, we don't typically, like I said, our my event horses get those, but my dressage horses, um, we don't get that much snow for them to turn out on, so we don't do that. Uh, I have when it gets really icy, we put a little bit of Vaseline in the horses' feet when they go yeah. outside because we don't put we don't typically put snowshoes on them. Uh, or pads. Um, so we'll put a little Vaseline on them when they go outside. Um, that's something that we do here uh, if it's really, really icy. Uh, but uh, guys, we don't turn out if it's really icy. I hate to tell you, it's the difference in, in management. Uh, you know, I have a little area, a little playpen area that we'll turn out in, uh, but we'll salt it and get it cleaned up before the horses go outside. So it's, it's just different, but we don't get the kind of snow and the long period of time that you guys get it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that we use a little bit, you know, cold weather stuff is um, a bit warmer, you know, because if you're pulling the bit out in the barn, I mean, the bits are quite cold to put in the horse's mouth. So we have a little thing and you can put it in the microwave or you just run the run the bits under a little bit of warm water before you throw them in the mouth. That's another important point to uh, to kind of the cold weather riding. Well, I think that was a great segment. Thank you, Ron, for coming on and discussing that with us. Oh, thank you. And uh, if people are looking on the internet, what uh, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at blueprintfirm um, at gmail.com. And uh, Facebook? And on Facebook as well under my name, Ron King. So you guys were away over the weekend together, I know, because I got pictures of you together. We're going to post some of the ones that we can on, on our Facebook page. But what was it for and, and what did you learn? So we actually went to um, Hassler Dressage at River's Edge um, in Chesapeake City, Maryland. And we it's actually where Philip and I met, um, uh, gosh, now, what, seven years ago, Philip? Eight years ago? I think it's eight years ago. Yeah, yeah. eight years ago. We started in this, uh, this symposium run by Harmony Sport Horses, sponsored by Harmony Sport Horses with uh, Scott Hassler. And um, there we learn all about everything to do with with riding young horses from starting them to showing them to uh, getting them ready for the FEI young horse classes and giving them a great start to their career in dressage. So that's uh, super educational and uh, a really fun, a really fun weekend. 
Yeah, it is. It's it's great, and and it's also at the time. It's it's all professional riders uh, that go, all professional young horse riders. Um, and what's good about it is it's very rare that we actually all get to sit in a room for three days together and and really network and and talk and and really work through problems. Um, we saw some really really interesting horses and some phenomenal international horses. Um, I would say I really, uh, we had a group of two, three-year-olds that we got to see over the three days. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. That's where I always feel that I need more education. I'm getting better the more that I do, uh, with the, that, that young horse. Normally I, I get them when they're four or older. Um, but it's so important to get that kind of basic work on them. So I came home and, uh, Ali actually I changed some things up with him with his program, and uh, actually we talked a lot about um, working with side reins with young horses. Um, and again, this is in, in an appropriate way, but kind of there was a young horse who was having trouble with connection, um, and the trainer hadn't been, for example, she hadn't really used side reins, and so the horse really didn't understand uh, what was being asked of him. So Ingo Papa, uh, we, we uh, you know, we put, fit him in properly fitting tack and, and properly fitting side reins. And you could see the horse really sort of develop his own understanding for the connection. Um, so that was, that was fun for me. That was, I really enjoyed that group. Uh, there was also a three-year-old that was having trouble bending to one side. Uh, I, I was having that problem too with my young horse. So that was fun to get some, some other insights on that. So I enjoyed the three-year-olds uh, and, and has helped me in my own program this week. How about you, Philip? Yeah, I mean, it's great. The young horses are great and it's so funny how they're so unique and they're different and, and you know, you have to apply a little bit different rules for each horse or a different emphasis maybe is a different way to look at it. But, I mean, for me, I've started quite a few young horses. I did that over in Europe for, for a little while as well. So, um, I kind of like the older horses, you know, where are they going? What's important once, once they can go around in a nice frame and in good rhythm, kind of where do you go from there and, and how do you continue to, uh, develop the horses to the, to the FEI levels and, and really show them off to the best ability. So we saw a lot of great stuff with that really, um, emphasizing, you know, rhythm. That's so important. Rhythm, 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 you know, not speeding the horses up too fast and just letting them settle in their work and get nice and relaxed. I mean, it was so, so much great stuff to see all different groups of, of ages of horses, you know, from the three-year-olds to the four-year-olds, another group of five-year-olds and a group of six-year-olds. So, it's, you know, it's really, um, you can connect each age group, uh, you know, from one to the next and, and see how the horses develop. And even though they are individuals, there's, you know, certain goals to try and achieve and uh, just learning so much. There's just so much to know. So, I mean, this is why... It's you know the eighth year of us going and seeing this because every year we learn something new or or see a horse that's a little bit different and can take it home and uh, and apply it for our students for our horses for for everybody we come in contact for the show here we we have some great ideas for upcoming shows so I think it's awesome it's, it was really yeah. fun really fun it yeah. was really fun it was really a great time and no you're absolutely right I mean I I don't think you ever you can never stop learning. And, and for me going to these, when we started going to this young horse conference, I had no, honestly, I had no idea what to do with young horse. I mean, if you handed me a three-year-old, I would have been like, Oh my God, what is that? <laughs> um, no, really. I mean, cause that wasn't, yeah, I was much more 
confident with with the FEI horses. That's what I was riding. That's what I rode in Europe. That's what I'm training. Um, so so for me, this has been really a huge part of my development as a rider and a trainer, um, and how to work with that age group. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see. Um, we had have had mostly German instructors that come, and um, you know, Europe has a much more defined system than we do here in the United States. And um, I think we are improving. Uh, and in Canada, I can't say so much about Canada, but for sure the United States. <laughs> and so um, to start getting to have a group and a resource um, that you can send your horses to that sort of understand, you know, what are the requirements of what can a three-year-old actually do um, or what can a four-year-old you know, actually yeah, do? Or what's too much and what's not enough. Right. And, you know, like there's always those questions. So it's like extreme Mustang makeover. It's like extreme dressage makeover. I, I don't really know. Yeah, I don't know what the Mustang makeover is. It's where they train the Mustangs from. They get three months to train a Mustang and then bring them into a show. So, uh, <laughs> oh, right. I was thinking the car. You were thinking Kinda. the car? I was losing it. You know, like extreme. Like Mustang doing it's Philip's time of night, everybody. It's, yes. That's where we start to lose Philip. Yes, we're losing Philip. Hey, do you guys night. realize it's a week? Away from Thanksgiving here in the United States. Yeah, we already did ours, guys. You're way behind. <laughs> well, I'm already working out in anticipation of next week. I thought I better start early. Now, this do you year. do a big family thing, Reese, or do you guys just kind of hang around? Uh, you know, not not too crazy big. Uh, typically, you know, Thanksgiving has always been a a day that it's you know I, I sort of let let everybody go home kind of thing. Uh, I do actually have uh, help this week, uh, this year. So that'll be fun. So typically we kind of lay low and we go to my mom's house, uh, for Thanksgiving dinner and, and I'm in charge of desserts. So I make a mean pumpkin pie. I will tell you. Um, so I'm, I'm in charge of desserts and there's always, my brother-in-law doesn't like uh, pumpkin pie. So I always try to think of something fun for him that he'll eat. So, so he has a special dessert. So, uh, but no, it's, it's a really good, good week, uh, really relaxing. So, uh, and I want to remind everybody that we will have a show next week. It'll come out on Friday. For those of you that aren't shopping, there will be a dressage show on Friday. Um, and the Stable Scoop show this week at stablescoop.com. Every year, now this is our fourth year, believe it or not, we we do an Equestrian Collections uh, Gift Buyer's Guide where we pick a bunch of products and we, we do a whole show about the products that we recommend. And you'll you'll hear which one is everybody had, everybody on the show, Helena and I and Debbie from Equestrian Collections, we all had our favorite product and it was the same one. So oh, I think it's going to be the I, I want to know next week. It's going to be the top yeah. seller this year. You're going to have to listen to Stable Scoop. It's <sighs> going to be the top seller this year, I think, uh, across the board. Uh, so we'll, we'll, you'll have to listen in and, uh, and see. And that show is out now. So you can take a listen to that. Oh, cool. Oh, I will. Definitely. Well, that's well, it. You guys, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Show. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, have a good week. And, yeah. uh, yeah, and Philip and Jay, yeah, you guys, you've already had it, so no, yeah, no fun yeah, for you. Yeah, it's a normal week. <laughs> Suffer yeah, through okay. your Thursday. <laughs> yeah, you can have a Thursday without us, and you're going to miss us. But uh, yeah, you I can find our everyone. show notes. <laughs> you can find our show notes and li- links to today's guests on our website at dressageradio.com. You can like us on Facebook, search for Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. 
My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. And I'd like to thank our sponsor, Equestrian Collections. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody keep your heels down and your shoulders back and have a great Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.